dear church, avoid submitting yourself to any teaching that adds anything to salvation by grace alone. Do not submit yourself to any teaching that would seek to put a yoke, a burden of works and law upon you for salvation. Do not submit to that teaching. You reject that teaching. Welcome to Grace and Truth Radio, verse-by-verse Bible teaching with Pastor Dan McGee. While salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, brings freedom, it is not a license to sin. Let's join Pastor Dan for the balance of the message, the most important question of all. Maybe you've heard these same excuses for not contending for the faith. Here's one. Let me put this on the screen for you. Have you ever heard this before? Well, that's not loving. We're supposed to love each other. Well, that's not loving. Here's the next one. All right? I just don't like conflict. I just don't like it. I get that. I do. In World War II, Hitler left the people no other choice. In fact, you may remember that there was a prime minister of England at that time. His name was Neville Chamberlain, and he tried again and again and again to appease Hitler. But yet, what did Hitler do? Hitler continued to march his armies on, and it was actually during that time where Chamberlain was constantly trying to appease Hitler that Hitler just continued to take more land and conquer more nations until finally the world recognized this thing isn't going away. So I understand no, but none of us like conflict. None of us want it. Paul and Barnabas, I don't believe, wanted conflict. They weren't looking for conflict in the church at Antioch. It came and found them. And then last one, here's, here's one that I've heard, and maybe you've heard this too. Well, I don't understand the issues. What's the big deal? Okay, I, don't, I really don't understand. What, this, just seems, this just seems like people are fighting about things that don't matter. Well, I think, that, I think that this could have been said when Paul and Barnabas approached the Judaizers. There could have been people in the church saying, look, it's no big deal. I mean, after all, they're, they're saying believe in Jesus just like we are. We're, we're trusting Christ by faith, but they're just asking us to do one little thing besides that. Just one. It's, it's just a small thing, and after all, the Jewish people have been doing it for centuries. Don't you think this could have easily been reasoned away that let's just cave on this little issue here for the sake of peace, harmony, and unity. But Paul and Barnabas recognized that what was at stake was the gospel. They could not let that happen. Do you realize if Paul and Barnabas had not drawn a line in the sand that day in that Antioch church and the events that we're going to read about in just a second, if they had not followed, you and I would be living today as Gentiles still under the Old Testament law and all of the boys would be required to be circumcised in order to show their faith in Christ. 
Who knows what other requirements would have followed that? Perhaps we would have been put under even more of the Old Testament law, the dietary laws and the clothing laws and all of that Old Testament Mosaic law which was designed by God to do one thing and that was to show them of their need for a Savior. So, let's go back to Acts chapter 15, shall we, church? We have to earnestly contend for the faith in conflict, it seems to be inevitable, in order to keep the doctrine of the church pure. And we see that even here in the early church. So what do Paul and Barnabas do? Well, notice, notice the end of verse 2, it says there that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So, back in the church in Jerusalem, even there, there were some Pharisees who had been converted. They became followers of Jesus Christ. And they had a difficult time letting go of these old traditions that they had been raised in. They, they essentially wanted these new Gentile believers to be put once again under the Mosaic law. Now, they were believers, they had trusted Christ, the scripture says, but they wanted them to follow these extra rules that they had been under all of their lives. And so now a council is going to be called. They're going to debate this matter. By the way, this is the first of numerous church councils that have occurred throughout church history. So notice verse 6. It says, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So the elders of the churches, the apostles, the representatives of Christ there on earth at this time, they all gathered together to consider the matter. Notice what it says in verse 7. It says, And after there had been much debate. Would you underline that again? Okay, I want you to notice this. Much debate. Now, don't you wish, and I do at times, don't you wish that the scriptures would give us just a little more detail about what this would have been like? I mean, doesn't your imagination just kind of run wild at this point? Because you know Paul, man, he was not the kind of guy to back down, right? Barnabas was a bold man. Peter was there, as we're going to see here in just a moment. James, okay, who was the ruler of the church in Jerusalem, he was there. He was the half-brother of Jesus. He was, he was known as James the Just, a very fair, righteous man. So these brothers are gathered together with the elders from the churches and the scripture says there is a lot of debate, much debate that takes place. Now, there are going to be three people or, or actually four individuals who we know from scripture do a primary amount of speaking. Here's the first, Peter. Okay, so Peter steps back into the picture. We haven't seen Peter for a while. Up to this point, remember there was a transition that took place chapters ago in the book of Acts where the beginning of the book, it really did focus on the life of Peter and then it transitioned to the apostle Paul. Well, now we come back and here's Peter once again being mentioned and notice what he does. In the middle of verse 7, it says that Peter stood up and he said to them, 
Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Now, what is Peter referring to? He's referring specifically when he talks about the Spirit of God coming to the Gentiles. Remember, Peter and the opportunity that he had to share Christ with Cornelius. Remember the story of Cornelius, this Gentile ruler? And he had been given this vision and Peter arrives and he declares to him the gospel of Christ and Cornelius believes. He becomes a follower of Christ. That's what Peter is referring to here. Isn't it interesting, church, how he refers to the Old Testament Mosaic law as a yoke that neither our forefathers or us have been able to bear? So he's like, why do you want to put this on the helm? We haven't even been able to keep this law. All of us in here have been breakers of this law, and you want to put this yoke on these Gentile brothers and sisters? Notice what he says in verse 11. This is an amazing declaration of salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Look at it. I love this. He says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Amen? Amen? So here's the second thing that I want to say to you this morning. Number two on your outline. Dear church, avoid submitting yourself to any teaching that adds anything to salvation by grace alone. Do not submit yourself to any teaching that would seek to put a yoke, a burden of works and law upon you for salvation. Do not submit to that teaching. You reject that teaching. This is what Paul tells us to do. This is what Peter tells us to do. This is what Barnabas will say in a moment. And this is what James will say. Now, now some of you have asked me this question before. Okay? You've asked me. Pastor Dan, why, why are there just, it seems like I look across the landscape of the world and I see so many different religions and I see so many different denominations. I mean, even as I drove here this morning, I saw this church and that church and this church and there are so many and, and so many of us and I'm included in this, we long for there to be unity in the body of Christ. We long for that. And the idea of brothers and sisters arguing and fighting with each other is a troublesome thought to us, and I'm with you on that. But please understand this. Some of the battles that have brought division within the body of Christ throughout the centuries have been necessary because ultimately truth was at stake. And specifically, this matter of the gospel by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone has been put to the test over and over and over again. Now, the good news is this. The good news is that someday Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to set all of this right. Amen? 
Jesus is going to unify his church. He's going to bring us all together and he's going to be the one who finally sits us all down and says, here's the truth, this is what's right and uh, let's all get on the same page. Amen, I look forward to that, don't you? Okay, I do. And I long for that even now and I long to, I long to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to contend for the faith in this way and to fight for the belief of faith alone through grace alone, in Christ alone. But in some ways, that hope that you and I have, it is what we would call an eschatological hope. In other words, eschatological meaning something that is still yet out there in the future. The doctrine of eschatology, the book of Revelation, is an eschatological book. In other words, it talks about the doctrine of things yet to come. And so this hope for unity that all of us have as followers of Jesus Christ, it will occur in the future. And we ought to do everything that we can while not compromising the gospel to promote harmony and unity among the body of Christ. But the reason that there are so many different denominations is because there have been battles over these things. Number three this morning. Number three, and as we close... The last thing I want to say is liberty in Christ. Liberty in Christ. Yes. Yes. Free indeed. Amen. But license in Christ? No. License in Christ? No. You say, Pastor Dan, I'm not sure I understand what you mean there by that. Well, let's, let's go on. Let's look at verse 12. As we finish this up here, it says... And all the assembly fell silent. I like that, don't you? After Peter spoke and after he said that great word about trusting in Christ alone, through grace alone, the whole assembly fell silent. Why? Because they were listening. They were learning. And it says there, and now they listened in verse 12. They listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, then James... He replied, and now James is going to give this wonderful speech. He says, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's referring back to Peter, by the way. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agreed, just as it is written. After this, I will return. And I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment, this is James again, he's speaking here. He says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So here's what James does. James offers a balanced response. They stand firm on faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. But he says, liberty in Christ, yes, license, no. In essence, he says, we're going to send a letter to the Gentiles that says, listen, recognize that your Christian brothers and sisters who are Jewish 
are coming out of a background where they have had many laws, many rules, many restrictions. You are not necessarily bound by these, but we're asking you out of love for your brothers and sisters in Christ to restrict your liberty in only a couple of areas. Why? Because culturally, these areas were still very, very tender to Jewish believers. What are they? Well, he mentions them. Notice in verse 20. Abstain from things polluted by idols. Now at that time, there, there was meat that was offered to idols. And this, in the book of Corinthians, it is a big deal. And Paul deals with it there. I don't have time to go into all of it. But the, the instruction there is, look, don't offend your Jewish brothers. Just, just avoid this. Okay, avoid the meat that is offered to idols that have been polluted by idols. And then notice, and from sexual immorality. Well, why was this the case? Well, because even at this time in a lot of the Gentile um, synagogues, they're, they're not synagogues, but uh, places of worship and temples, there were these priests and priestesses who were nothing more than temple prostitutes. It was actually a way of worshiping the Lord. And so this was very prevalent within uh, the Gentile culture. And so Paul says, look, this has to stop. You can't practice that. You have to be pure in this way. Notice verse 20, he says, and from what has been strangled and from blood. So in other words, um, I want you, James says, I want you to limit these things in your life. Why? For verse 21, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. In other words, Jewish people. For he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So, liberty in Christ? Yes. License in Christ? No. Let me give you two principles here, okay? Here they are. Two principles. Number one, as those under grace... We are not to make non-biblical requirements of others, specifically those that come from secondary cultural traditions. We need to be careful of this. This can happen even in the church today. Some of us come from backgrounds where there were certain cultural traditions even in the church, right? Some of you have come from cultural traditions where it was taught that even if a woman wore fingernail polish or if, if she wore a pair of pants, it was sinful. And, and so you want to, uh, at times, you're, you could be tempted to want to impose those kinds of cultural things onto other believers as a necessary means of salvation. We have to be careful of that. But secondly... The second principle is this. Here's the balance. Because we are under grace, we gladly restrict our freedom for others, particularly in cross-cultural contexts. That's what was happening here. You've got a cross-cultural context. You've got Jewish people and Gentile people, and you've got these cultures that are clashing with each other. And so in the midst of that, because we are under grace though, we gladly restrict our freedom for others. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 with me. Would you do that? 1 Corinthians 9. Quickly, I need you to turn there because we're wrapping this thing up. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The Apostle Paul gives some instruction here to the Corinthian church about this matter. Look at verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, 
that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not, my, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, that's referring to Gentiles, in other words, outside of the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, which of course the, love of, the law of Christ is, is love and grace and mercy, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So in conclusion this morning, dear church, do you see the balance that is offered? Let's go back to Acts chapter 15 as we, as we finish it up. So a letter gets sent. The verdict is stated. James states the verdict. You'll notice, though, that even though James is the one who states the verdict, it is a plurality of leadership which sends the letter. Notice verse 22, because a letter is now going to go back to the church at Antioch by the hands of Barnabas and Paul. It says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well, farewell." So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. And Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. I love that, that they found this to be an encouraging word. You say, but Pastor Dan, I don't understand this. I mean, the, the, the council back in Jerusalem actually put four restrictions on them. No more immorality. No more eating food that's been strangled and avoid blood, right? Avoid these things. Why, why, if these restrictions were placed upon them, did they find this encouraging? Well, it was better than being considered outside of Christ. It was better than being put under all these other restrictions. And they saw this as a minor thing that they could do in order to preserve the relationship between their Jewish brothers and sisters. It was a compromise in essence. And as time would go by, these things would become less of an issue. 
But grace allows us to limit our freedom, to limit our liberty for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ, particularly in cross-cultural contexts. Missionaries have to deal with this kind of thing all the time where there's a certain thing within the culture that the missionary learns, I have to avoid this, not because it's an issue for me, but because it's an issue for them. And I love them, and I don't want anything to be a barrier or a hindrance to me, as Paul said in Corinthians, sharing the gospel of faith alone through grace alone in Christ alone. That's what we want to do. Amen, church? And these are the kinds of things that church councils have had to wrestle through for centuries. And I'm so thankful, aren't you, that they were willing to do it because we have the gospel as a result. Thanks for joining us today on Grace and Truth Radio. I'm so glad that you've been with us. If you're looking for a church, I'd like to invite you to join us. Harvest is a growing, dynamic, multicultural church that welcomes people from all backgrounds, all cultures, and all walks of life. We are passionate Christ followers, and if that resonates with you, come check us out. You can get a copy of this series of messages if you go to our website, graceandtruthradio.com, or you can call us at one 64 truth And of course, Grace and Truth Radio is sponsored by Harvest Bible Church and listeners like you. Check out our website at harvestdetroitwest.org. I hope you'll come to visit us this Sunday at one of our three service times, 8.30 a.m. 10 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. Harvest is located on Newburgh Road, just north of Ford Road. We hope to see you there. We want to live, we want to live Full of grace We want to live, we want to live Full of truth